Atamari, welcome to First Up. It is Rahina. It's Monday, the 13th of June. Kornathan Rarari Aho. Coming up, Anna Burns Francis joins us from the United States ahead of the second day of hearings, examining the January 6th attacks on Washington, D.C. Uh, severe weather woo, right across the country. It remains in place, the warnings there uh, for much of the country this morning. So, Porirua's Mayor will join us to talk about updating to floods in the area yesterday. And also, Philip Duncan's here about what the weather's got in store for you today. Plus, I gave acclaimed actor Jennifer Wardley-Lind a few pointers about becoming a screen director. Oh, Nathan, you sound like you've been scarred for life <laughs> by, by, by working with the screen director. Atamaria, welcome to First Up. I'm Nathan Radere. We begin the show this morning in Ukraine, where it's estimated that it will take decades to clear up some areas of anti-tank mines, which were set by Russian forces in an attempt to disrupt the supply of primary produce to the markets of the world. Russia is being accused of using the food supply as part of its strategy in the invasion of Ukraine. The BBC's Joe Inwood has this report. Lysyshansk is burning. Relentless Russian bombardment turning it into a wasteland. For some, the chance to flee. Not an option for the hundreds of civilians stuck in a chemical factory in neighbouring Severodonetsk. It's thought the plant has caught fire, with fears of a huge oil leak. The fighting in the east is intensifying. But even in parts of Ukraine no longer under attack, the impact of the invasion is still being felt. Outside Kyiv, this minibus drove over an anti-tank mine. The father lost both his legs. There is an operation to clear these fields, but it will be a long process. It's a massive scale given the nature of the conflict and it's very difficult to put uh, estimates um, on, on how long. There's a huge work ahead and we're talking years, maybe decades to clear Ukraine. What we see at Halo is the impact on the local level. It's, it's civilians being killed. And it's not just mines that are scattered over this once peaceful land. Elena shows me the collection of rockets that landed in her fields. But the real danger to her comes from cluster bombs. Banned by most countries, the Russians have used them liberally in their invasion of Ukraine. Elena takes me to the field where two landed. You can imagine how scared I am. The cluster bomb was behind a tree. They took it away, but what if there is something left? What's important is that roads like this are essential for the agricultural economy of this country. And that agricultural economy is essential for feeding the world. You know, this is one of the breadbasket of the world. You know, the grain from here will go all over the world. And if the farmers can't plant it, then the rest of the world will suffer. There is already talk of a global food crisis caused by this ill-fated invasion. Farming has always been a precarious business. Now it is a life-threatening one as well. Changing that will take many years. It's Joe Inwood reporting from Kiev to the USA now, where the January 6th committee has broadcast public hearings in prime time on the telly there. And lawmakers have reached a bipartisan deal on gun control. Wow, but is it going to be enough? Uh, well, with me is someone who knows. Joining us from New York, it's TVNZ's US correspondent Anna Burns-Francis. Kia ora, Anna, how are you? Very well, thank you. It's nice to wake up to some promising news, isn't it, in America? It is. It is. So, so what exactly have those senators gone and agreed upon? 
Yeah, so this is the important point. It's actually the senators, those are the guys in the upper house, the ones who actually pass laws into real life. And up until now, the Senate has been so evenly divided. That's actually been the real sticking point with gun reform. Now they've agreed to increase some of the regulations. You've got to actually think they're finally feeling the heat maybe from their more conservative population. These are the sorts of things voters don't mind because, here's the important point, it won't impinge on Second Amendment rights. So the big points, background checks are enhanced. The full detail of that will be interesting to see actually how effective it will be. The next one is red flag laws. Now, these are basically emergency search and seizure notices. Authorities can come and take away a weapon if a family member or a friend calls it in and says, hey, I'm worried about this person. And studies actually suggest that this has been one of the most effective tools to stopping school shootings. Actually, when someone rings in and says, oh, uh, I'm alluding you to this uh, because it's often found that teenage gunmen in particular have discussed their plans in advance with other people. But uh, when no one's raised the alarm, that's when the attack has gone on to happen. The big issue that is still missing, of course, is raising that buying age. 43 states in America let you buy a semi-automatic weapon as a teenager. And a number of these school shootings have been from teenagers who've just purchased an AR within days of committing these crimes. So without an age limit on purchase, it doesn't look like much is about to change. Right. Okay. So th- these January 6 hearings um, that are being shown everywhere, everywhere, unless you watch Fox News and then they don't exist. But for everyone that watched the other stuff, what did we learn from the committee's hearings this past weekend? Yeah, Fox not airing them and then discussing what went on in the hearings. Bizarre. <laughs> Obviously, completely agenda driven. Uh, from the it was a channel, by the way, we should point out claims the entire event was a conspiracy theory. Yes. But for the rest of us, we learned quite a lot. Uh, And there's a promise, obviously, of a whole lot more coming this week. There's three more hearings scheduled. The committee is trying, and actually I think probably doing a good job of it, to draw a clear line between Donald Trump's words on the day of January 6th and in the months leading up to it and the actions that were then taken by that mob up on the hill. The most interesting part so far is that emerging link between a couple of groups, the Oath Keepers and the Proud Boys, those far-right, hard-right militia groups, and the contacts that those groups had within the White House quite close to the former president. Those groups had a really menacing and premeditated plan that day. Now, it did look like it failed in its execution, but the mission clearly was to try and overturn the certifying of the election by force, physical force. Now, we're expecting to hear more about this this week, uh, and particularly around that communication between the president's advisors and staff. We've had hints already about the details of some of Donald Trump's reactions that day in the White House. He was watching it all unfold on television. And we heard more this week from Liz Cheney. She said Donald Trump actually supported the crowd's chance of wanting to hang his vice president, Mike Pence, for example. And don't forget, this is, though, a political hearing. There's also the Department of Justice investigation, which the committee has alluded to, saying there's a whole lot more that should be revealed that the committee itself cannot yet. Yeah, you talked about these organised right-wing groups. I see there was an arrest uh, that happened. I was was catching up with it yesterday uh, on Twitter. Uh, But a a number of arrests at a Pride March in Idaho. Can you just tell us about the arrested? Yeah, it's Pride Month here in America. So, you know, lots of public gatherings on weekends, lots of displays of a more liberal viewpoint in America, which is always an interesting concept when it comes up against the the rise and quite bold rise of these far-right groups in recent years. Um, And look, it's not unexpected that there would be some 
uh, movement from these far-right groups. They do like to turn up to public events and make themselves known in a bullyish kind of way. But surprisingly, this time, the police stepped in and defended those who were under threat. So it was 31 members of a far-right group uh, who've been arrested and charged with plotting to riot in Coeur in Idaho. Now, there were a few giveaways here. They had weapons stacked in vehicles nearby. They were being watched. There were helicopters overhead. And what they apparently didn't know was that their comms had already been infiltrated by the authorities. They certainly weren't being secret about what they were planning to do that day, but perhaps they weren't uh, expecting to be busted quite so quickly. Yeah, well, I'm pleased they did. Anna Burns-Francis, thank you very much for joining us here at First Up. Look at the time. It's nearly quarter past five. What are you doing? Come, 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 come. Uh, listening to First Up here on RNZ National with me, Nathan Rarere. Just keen for your feedback, obviously weather. Weather was bigger than everything uh, that happened around New Zealand over the weekend. Uh, just let us know if you're somewhere right now where you think, I, I hope you're going to mention us today with what we've got. We will be heading to Porirua to speak to the Mayor there as well after some flooding, but I know that uh, when I had a look last night, I thought, oh goodness me, uh, we're going to be weathered, all weathered uh, for the next few days. So just let us know, 210 one or email us first up at rnz.co.nz uh, we were just speaking to Anna Burns Francis we'll stay in the USA, here's a bit of a heart warmer, uh, a Korean war veteran has found his long lost love after searching for her for 70 years Michelle Bandua reports on Dwayne and Peggy's reunion How many of us get the chance to fix something unresolved from our past Even at age 91 Dwayne Mann never lost hope he'd get that chance. This girl thinks I abandoned her, and, and that's the crux of, that's really the crux of why I'm here. It's the moment he's been waiting for. I prayed that I would be able to do that face on face. For nearly 70 years. Peggy. His long journey finally comes to an end. It's a moment in time, that was a moment in time there, you know. That moment in 1954 when Duane last saw his first love, Peggy Yamaguchi, when he was stationed in Yokosuka, Japan. She was pregnant when the 22-year-old Iowa farm boy got his orders. The Navy was sending him back to the States. So he left Peggy behind with the promise he'd send for the woman he planned to marry. But when Duane returned home from the Korean War, he found his father had fallen on hard times and spent Duane's savings. And then Peggy's letters stopped coming, or so he thought. He discovered later his mother burned the letters. She didn't want me to marry a Japanese girl. One final letter arrived, though. Peggy wrote she lost the baby and married someone else. It was over. Um, then that Set, that set in that idea that, uh, that I abandoned her just just wore me out. That's not an honorable thing to do. I think it was a combination of guilt and confusion and, and uh, sadness. Dwayne's son Brian has supported his father's lifelong quest to find his lost love so he can clear his conscience. We owe it to them to see if, you know, if this is truly the Peggy that my dad is looking for. In early May, we reported on Dwayne's long search, his universal story of heartbreak and hope. The story went around the world. Japanese media shared my report. Viewers emailed and posted obituaries and photos, wondering if they had found Peggy. While Dwayne was in Iowa searching for Peggy, she wasn't an ocean away in Japan. She was closer to him in Iowa than he could have ever imagined. 
only 650 miles across the Mississippi River and a few states has kept the couple apart all these years. I thought, what, what the heck is going on here? You know, what kind of scam artist is this one? That's what Rich Seidenquist thought when he listened to my voicemail, asking him if Peggy Yamaguchi was his mother. One way to find out, I'll take my Bluetooth headphones over there and brought their little, your video clip, and I played it, and she, she right away, I remember him. He, he really loved me, you know. Peggy is alive, alert, and 91 years old, living with her Navy husband she married in 1955 in the same Michigan community where she raised her three sons in Escanaba, Michigan. He's able to fulfill his dream, his lifelong dream to find the woman that he had met and fell in love with and stuff and 70 years later. What a, what a wonderful story. <laughs> it's your mom. Yep. It's my mom, and I love my mom. An article dated February 3rd, 1956, from the local Escanaba newspaper, The Daily Press, was the key in finding Peggy, brought to our attention from a woman in Vancouver, Canada, who saw my story online. She tells me she was compelled to act. I feel like it just cut me like right to my soul. 23-year-old Teresa Wong is a researcher for the History Channel. She found that old newspaper article with the headline, Tokyo Bride Likes Life in Escanaba. That gave us a last name to go on and an address in the Upper Peninsula. I cannot imagine carrying around that kind of heartbreak for 70 years. I really hope that this is just that opportunity to get closure and, and really like a release from all those years of, of worrying about it. Peggy, how are you? Oh my gosh. Nice to see you. Yes. Oh. Thank you for all of that yeah. attention. My gosh, it's well, a long time, isn't it? It's been 70 years. Yeah. You remember the dancing? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and in another important moment, without skipping a beat, the pair starts reminiscing about their special time in Japan. Those old jitterbugs. Yeah, right. Yep, yep. I was scared at first. I thought maybe my mother and Duane wouldn't talk like they did, but when they started smiling and talking, and it was all worth it. It was all worth it for me. It's a great example as my dad has always been, to, you know, just do, do follow your heart, be a kind person, and uh, not be afraid to take a step when other people won't. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's authentic to me. And I've thought about that all my life, that I no. worried, worried that you thought that I abandoned you. Mm. And I'm here to tell you that I didn't abandon you at all. I just couldn't find you. And that's... that's Your thoughts was all of that. And remembering, save all of that picture. Yes. You must have loved me. I did. And if regret wasn't enough of a reminder... You gave me that picture. Dwayne shared with Peggy how he keeps her close with photos in his billfold. He kept those in his wallet for 70 years. That's what he said. Dwayne left an impression on Peggy, too. What's your middle name? Dwayne. D-U-A-N-E. Now, I just came to light how I really got that name, and it wasn't by happenstance. It was for a reason, I believe. 
It may take a lifetime, but when you're offered that moment, whether it be romance or resolve, <laughs> just ask Dwayne Mann. It's really been a, free, a freeing experience for me. Seize the moment and never give up to find peace. Did you feel abandoned? Yeah, yeah, no, no. CNN's Michelle Bandua. It's probably pronounced Bander. Uh, it is 22 past five on Nathan Raraday. You're with first up on RNZ National. Still to come, Porirua Mayor Anita Baker updates us on the region's flooding and the Minister of Fruit and Veg hits the airwaves. They are standing in the rear. Big ones, small ones, some as big as a head. Well, because it's Monday, let's head on back there. Let's go back to the fresh produce markets with our Minister of Fruit and Veggies, multimedia star, Glenn Forsyth headliner, banner man. Kia ora, Glenn, how are you? Oh, good. G'day, Nathan. How are you, buddy? Very, very good. Those of you with uh, love the reading side of things to pair with your radio's wonderful article on Glenn that was out uh, uh, the other day. So we'll get to that soon. But anyway, hey, um, what are we bringing in from the Pacific this time of year, apart from workers that will work cheap? <laughs> yeah, we've had great. We've been great customers of the Pacific Islands for decades, including bananas back in the day. And we caught up with Alistair Turner, fifth generation in, in the New Zealand industry from Fresh Direct Markets in Auckland on what we're bringing in. The big volume mover by sea is pink and white taro. Taro is staple food for them as potatoes are to us. Weekly shipments from Fiji, more the pink variety, and fortnightly from Samoa. White variety more popular here from Samoa as it holds better than the pink. We also bring in a lot of fresh coconuts um, by sea. And by air mostly, we bring in fascinating products from the islands such as fresh chilies, long eggplant, okra, curry leaves, taro leaves, sugarcane, pawpaw and turmeric, all popular in Indian Fijian cuisine. I remember in the late 80s, excess supply of taro here would go on special at 2 99 a kilo. Not now, Alistair says. More 5 99 a kilo for Samoan and 6 99 a kilo for Fijian. Main reasons, freight increases and extra demand these days from Australia and Hawaii. Now, you find a lot of island produce in South and West Auckland stores and a great array at the flea markets, and the taro volume jumps up in spring, so plenty to look forward to. Al visits the growers frequently, and similar to New Zealand growers, they're like family. He enjoys eating fresh taro over there himself with the coconut sauce, and he loves his baked taro crisps straight out of the oven, so that's one to try. You know, uh, there's a, a calf that I go to, and the guy there got delivered some by his fruit and veggies guy, and he didn't know what it was. So yeah. he made... Uh, like a little dessert, almost like little donut balls of of the taro diced up and put in. It, it was lovely, Glenn. It was amazing, and he's like, he's really good. He goes, "Is this how you cook taro? I don't know what you do with it. It's like you just do whatever that is because that's the greatest thing I've tasted." Anyway, um, what yeah, is a amazing. what is a brassica? Yeah, yeah. So sorry, it's a great vegetable taro, and thank you for that, plug, Nathan. Uh, well, brassica, like I was just just talking with a lot of the boys down here so far. Um, no bad news with weather damage to outdoor greens, but a lot of today's volume harvested and packed Friday. So reports in too much rain over the weekend, however, and the grounds are getting muddy. So it's fingers crossed for the rest of the week. So we'll, we'll follow that closely. With broccoli tightening in supply a little after the weekend and cauliflower and cabbage still in the king demand, a second-tier 
green vegetable not often considered is the leek, and there were good numbers of these about this morning. Do rinse thoroughly in cold rainwater as dirt gets trapped in leeks. And now this from Vegetables New Zealand, they can be microwaved, boiled, steamed, braised, or stir-fried. Now that's my favourite, is when they cook and their juices hits the rest of the pan's ingredients. Wow, it's like a flavour explosion, especially the greener parts. So don't throw all of that away in preparation. You can add leeks to soups, blends, pans, uh, pies, sorry, and braises or stews. Serve with a white or cheese sauce. And as leeks are from the onion family, they can be used to give a world, um, a, beg your pardon, a wild uh, onion type taste in recipes, both raw and cooked. And, and also to start off with um, good vegetables as well. This this week, parsnips, Brussels sprouts, supermarkets, squash and mushrooms, they're all in season. Mm, just very, very quickly, Glenn, avocados, what do you got on that? Oh, avocados. Yes, we did want to talk about avocados. Uh, avocado on toast has become an Australian icon, a popular choice there for breakfast and brunches, so they're doing an avocado toast competition there this year. So the cafes and restaurants leading up to National Avocado Day on the 31st of July. I'm sure there will be some spectacular entries. Closer to home, though, we are between old and new season. The foodie lover will see a change in the avocado flavour with new season ones, as through June and July they are watery. They are pre-writing them also to soften them up, sometimes too soft, and their skin takes on a glossy bronze copper colour. The good news is, though, two years ago, avocados were $5 each this month. There's a handful of old season left, so if you prefer these, ask your green grocer if they still can source them for you. Or another option, our good friend Toddy has old season still this week, and they deliver trays of them. Find him on www.freshstore.co.nz. Plenty of apples and pears for sale today. We are sport for choice on varieties, a different one for every member of the family. Kiwi fruit and pig supply and flavour, and New Zealand lemons are also impressive here in tasting their brilliant sour selves. Got roasted on these last year when we named them fruit of the week, but New Zealand grapefruit has started to serve. Goodbye. Beautiful. Thank you very much. There's avocados. Also, great news on the genus of plants in the cabbage and mustard family. Sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. This is the day of our life. We call the 13th of June. Seven years ago, someone was sitting in your lounge, scrolling through their phone and went, Ha! Ah, look at this! This was that day there were massive floods in Georgia. Uh, and do you remember all the zoo animals got out in Tbilisi and there was a picture of like hippopotami, hippopotamuses, sorry, just running down the road and, and stuff. And everyone was going, hey, that's cute. Then everyone figured... Do they have lions and stuff at that zoo? Yeah, all the animals got out on this day in 2015 because uh, of the floods there. It was a really, I was trying to, when I was looking through this day in history, this is the time um, in the United States where movies get released. How about this day in history? All of these films came out on this day. Are you ready? 1978, Greece, of course, uh, which was uh, a movie adaptation of a 1971 stage musical. So Greece comes out in 78. In 1981, Raiders of the Lost Ark, the best ride at Disneyland, but also a fantastic movie in 1981. In 1982, E.T. was released. It was based on an imaginary friend that Steven Spielberg created after his parents' divorce. There you go. Uh, 1986, John Hughes's love letter to Chicago was released, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. In 2014, the film was selected for preservation in the United States National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. 
Austin Powers came out in uh, 1999. This was the second one, Spy That Shagged Me. And in 2004, Napoleon Dynamite came out. I love this film. I absolutely love it. Only cost them $400,000 to make. They didn't think anyone was going to watch it. Made $46 million, that movie. And on this day in 1970, the song that broke up the Beatles was released, The Long and Winding Road, written by Paul McCartney. And so the story behind it is this. They record it in the studio. John Lennon plays the bass, and he was terrible. He made a whole lot of mistakes. Phil Spector goes, hmm, I'm going to cover this. So he decides to cover it with, you know, the orchestral dubs, the, the violins, the violas, the cellos, the trumpets, the trombones, the guitars, the choir. That, and then they heard it. Paul McCartney hears it and goes, yuck, I hate it. I hate it. And uh, flipped a table over, demanded Apple Records, eliminate the extra music and vocals. They said no. The album was released with the overdubs in place. Uh, since 1976, other versions of the song have been released by Paul McCartney, but none of them as good as Phil Spector's. Joining us now from the business teams talking about the money that you work hard for, it's Anan Zaki. Kia ora Anan, how are you? Morena, Nathan, very well, how are you? I'm good, but I was I, I saw that there was, you know, when there's, ever there's the closing of a big brand that's pretty crazy and you wonder who it's replaced by, obviously McDonald's going, we are out of Russia because of the war on Ukraine. Tell me about the replacement, how good does it look? Well, they're calling it a tasty McDonald's substitute. So you might, yes, as you mentioned there, uh, along, McDonald's, along with a host of other Western companies, pulled out following the uh, following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And they sold uh, their more than 800 Russian restaurants to a Siberian oil magnet. And uh, today, the first rebranded restaurants are opening in Moscow. And there's a new name which is called, or the rough translation is, Tasty and That's It. So nice. gone are the Golden Arches. Uh, instead, they're replaced by what looks like a letter M made out of two French fries and a dot on the left. I'm not sure if you've seen it. Oh, uh, I'm Googling it now. That's You know what? I, I admire that, uh, that that bit of graphic art. Graphic artist, well yeah, done. Simplicity, isn't it? Yeah, that's what yeah. everyone is going for nowadays. Uh, Tasty and That's It. Where are you going? And look, I'm, I'm not sure what the dot it. is meant to represent. Could be a burger. Uh, but look, <laughs> it's uh, it's a new, like minimalism. I think that's what they're going for. But yeah. I, I think I, I kind of see what they're trying to do. And, and the new owners uh, hope customers don't notice too many changes. The company even has a new slogan called The Name Changes, Love Stays. Uh, and, but look, <laughs> it didn't go. It didn't go all too smoothly. One protester disrupted the opening, saying, "Bring back Big Mac." Mm. And like, there's a lot of love for Big Macs, uh, obviously in Russia. But the company says the new company says the burgers, their makeup hasn't changed, and it still uses the McDonald's, the same McDonald's equipment. And it's hugely symbolic. It was in 1990 when McDonald's uh, opened in Russia. Apparently the queues were three hours long, not so long today, mm. but it was a symbol of uh, Soviet Russia embracing American culture and food, of course, nearing the end of the Soviet Union. And what's happening today, perhaps symbolic in a different way, highlighting how the two cultures are, are moving apart. And of course, from a business perspective, Russia and Ukraine account for 9% of McDonald's global sales, so a decent chunk. And they join a Starbucks, Coca-Cola, Levi's and Apple among well-known international brands that have 
pulled out or pulled suspended out. sales uh, since February. Well, there we are. Put the five zero ones down and go off and get a tasty, and that's it. Big Red Army Mac. Thank you, uh, Ananzaki. You can hear more from the business team on Morning Report this morning at 10 to 7. Let's see what your New Zealand dollar will buy you today. It'll buy you 63.79 US cents, 90.18 Australian cents, 60.37 Euro cents, 51.71 British pence, 4.28 yuan, 85.63 Japanese yen, 36.72 Russian rubles and if you're going to Dominica or the Dominican Republic, sorry, uh, the peso now, you can get 35.3 of those for your New Zealand dollar. And it's Barry Guy. Morena. Kia ora, how are you? This is like a kind of like one of those Christmas presents under the tree for sports journalists in New Zealand with an all black squad named at midday today. But lots happened on the weekend, didn't it? That's right. Uh, I must uh, quick mention of the Pulse. Victory in the Ains and Nepal uh, yeah. uh, final yesterday. Uh, surprising with the margin. It wasn't 19 goals in the end. Um, I'd expect it to be a lot closer than that, mm. but uh, they came out firing uh, against the Stars straight away. They've had a couple of slow starts earlier in the season, um, but uh, they were fired up for that, and right from the uh, get-go, uh, it was all Pulse, so congratulations to them. I think that's uh, three titles in the last How good's uh, that? five years oh, or something like that. I remember when like they that. first yeah. started and poor old Frances Solia was the captain, and she had to answer up the end of every game. Why'd you lose that one? It was yeah. for about three oh, years. Yeah. Way to go, Pulse. Uh, and, and I suppose uh, a word to Anna Harrison, who uh, has retired again from the Stars and uh, without a title. So uh, she's had a great career, though, so well done to her. The big motor racing news this morning, Brendan Hartley won Le Mans for the tw- uh, the third time. That's the 24-hour race um, which uh, then uh, we were talking in the office, if you ever want to see a sporting sort of movie that's half decent, uh, Ford versus Ferrari a good one, with Christian it? Bale. Right. It's, that's not a bad uh, one to watch. So uh, well done to Brendan Hartley. Uh, Red Bull won uh, the F1 overnight. And uh, the Blues are going to host the Super Rugby final next weekend against the Crusaders. Yes, they you are. got your money on. Well, I have to stick with who who I was asked right at the start of the season. You know those ones before you've actually seen them play? But you said, it's like, I hadn't seen any of these dudes, but I said Blues early on, so I'll have to stick with them, I think. I think they've got Caleb Clark and Dalton Papaliti back this week, which makes a big difference. Uh, and I sorry, uh, quickly, uh, you said the All Black uh, squads announced today. Uh, anyone miss out? There's been a little bit of reporting speculation that possibly TJ Piranara might be under a bit of pressure from some yeah. other halfbacks, but we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Uh, and if you're wondering, the cricket, uh, England are batted all day there. Um, and so that's going to end in a draw, which isn't surprising. Uh, the third test email. will be flat also, won't it? So England can win the series. Yeah. Oh, I must, well. must just quick mention, though, uh, Daryl Mitchell. He's obviously got something special yes. about him. Two tons in a row. Tom Blundell done really well. Uh, Wicket keeper, you know, he took over from BJ Watling, had to produce. He's doing it, so uh, well done to them, and uh, we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, Yes, indeed. Thank yeah, you cool. very much, okay, Mr Barry Guy. And, of course, uh, that All Blacks team named it midday, and Barry and the sports team will have all of that for you here at RNZ National. Six o'clock happens in 20 minutes. I'm Nathan Rarere. You are listening to First Up here on RNZ National. So what's between now and then? Well, the Mayor of Porirua, Anita Baker, is with us shortly about the flooding which um, surrounds numerous homes uh, there. And Philip Duncan from Weatherwatch joins us to tell you what's in store. And also we're going to hear from one of Aotearoa's most accomplished actors, now director, Jennifer Ward-Leland. 
Professionals of RNZ of the Morning Report crew that have been rested. Or, no, they weren't resting. News still happens in their minds across the weekend. It's Corin Dan who's with me. Kira, Always. How are you? Always, Constantly. Dan. All the time. 24-7. Yep. That's never, right. never, never stops. Never rest. Never yeah, no. <laughs> Better never right. sleeps. That's exactly right. Uh, well, yeah. not that, you know, there was it was a wild old weekend and, and so the news is very much the weather, yeah. isn't it, at the moment. Uh, and right across the country. So we've got a lot to get through this morning on Morning Report with uh, weather watches uh, top to bottom, almost. Uh, mm-hmm. Wind, rain, snow. Uh, so we'll get all the updates. A lot of roads closed. A lot of passes closed. Uh, there's been flooding. There's been tornadoes. Uh, it's been all on. Yeah. Hopefully there hasn't been too much damage. There is some power outages in some parts of the country as well, but not huge numbers. So lots to get through there. We'll talk to Jacinda Ardern, too, back from her Australian visit, catch up on whether there were any real gains there on particularly that 501s issue. Didn't look like it to me. Uh, although maybe some language was softening. I don't know. Mm. Uh, we'll also talk All Blacks. Because yep. they're announcing the why they want why are they you you can tell me this why are they announcing the All Blacks oh, the I don't week know. before the final before the final it's so dumb they do this all the time and it's one of the terrible things they do is when they're in the middle of a competition they go hey what about the next one always and stop doing that I mean maybe it's a timing thing is it a timing thing with the, with the you need oh, the, you 30, and thirty six players it's a big squad crikey yeah it is. But hey, get them in there, contract them so they don't go overseas. <laughs> exactly, that one. That's what you do. Banks yeah. them now. There we are. Thank you very much, Corin Dan. Uh, well, uh, short film Disrupt looks into the devastating effects of methamphetamine on a whanau when a grandmother is the only person who refuses to give up on her drug-addicted grandson. Written by Aroha Awarau and filmed in 2021, Disrupt is the film-directing debut of Jennifer Ward-Leland. Disrupt debuted, how about this, at the Hawaii and New Zealand International Film Festivals late last year. And uh, here's a real yin-yang happening. Last week it screened at the Beverly Hills International Film Festival in LA and the Wairoa Film Festival in Hawke's Bay where it won the audience voted uh, Tenero Prize. I asked Jennifer Ward-Leland what it's like, you know, formerly being an actor, you know, and now you're there directing people around being a director. Is it like being a, a, a you know, what is it, a hunter turned gameskeeper? Actually, I'm, I really love it. Look, I've been doing it for 20 years on the stage and when Aroha Awarau approached me about directing the short film, I wrote back saying, Aroha, did you mean to write to me or another Jennifer? Because you know I haven't directed for the screen before. And he went, yeah, no, I meant to send it to you. And I went, oh, oh no, 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 too too much, too much. And then thought about it. And Michael Hurst, my husband, gave me some encouragement. And I went, gone, you know, you're always up for something new, do it. So, and look, it was really, really terrific experience and then I've moved on to something else as well so you know ask me four years ago would I be directing something on the screen I would have laughed at you. You know there's always those uh, screen director habits you've got to have like you've got to have a sleeveless puffer jacket right when you're talking (laughs) and you've got to do I'm going to do it for you right now this isn't very good for radio but I always found that when they do that they do that thing where they go okay we're just going to talk over the scene and then just squatting and then go (laughs) okay Here's what we're doing. We're gonna, you know what I mean? Do, do that kind of stuff because for you. Oh, Nathan, you sound like you've been scarred for life by, <laughs> by, by working with the screen director. They do this because it's I such a different puffer jacket. It's such a different process, though, right? Because like, can you just explain for the audience that because you have to do it like tiny piece by tiny piece by tiny piece. Yes, you do. You're, you're doing things often out of order. It's quite rare to be shooting things in order. So you've got to really know as an actor and director where you've just come from and where you're going to. 
and also to make sure you're capturing everything. That I think that was a really big lesson for me, just making sure you're capturing everything that's going to show the action, you know, every little cutaway, which means, you know, if somebody's working on, for instance, weaving flax, you know, you want to make sure you've got a not just a wider shot of them doing it, but their fingers on the flax and all of that kind of stuff. But the thing is, you don't have to know, as a first-time director, you don't have to know everything. That's why you surround yourself with the wonderful people in the crew, you, you know, your DOP and your gaffer and all of the people who are making the pictures look brilliant. Mm. I don't have to know each lens size. I just have to know what I like. So, I mean, it's not to say that I won't learn all of that stuff, but, you know, don't think you have to sort of know everything before you take it on. Well, let's get in uh, to the, the film itself, Disrupt, and, mm. uh, you know, it's about methamphetamine, which is in a, a devastating drug there to, to tell how do you do the whole bit let's be accurate in what we do because you know you know that but where you see an actor that's playing a drunk person and when they overdo mm. it you're like oh that's just terrible acting how do you get to that to go we need this to look really accurate and this is the people i'm going to talk to about it well we talk to people we talk to people who have this as you know this is as you said it's a huge problem throughout new zealand and we my best conversation actually with somebody is with somebody who has a child who is a methamphetamine addict. So understanding what it's like when they're coming up, when they're going down, what the family have to do to deal with it, whether the person is staying in the house or out of the house, and in this case they were living in the house, but many families have to shun their child because they can't take it anymore. So that was my best research was actually talking to someone who'd been through it. And when, you know, for this film, we're looking at this through the eyes of one family. So we're not trying to speak to all experiences at, you know, at one time. And this is, you know, it's not just about seeing a child who's in the state, but it's seeing how the parents have had to deal with it, how they've had to, you know, when the kid turns up at the hospital and then the parents turn up as well, and they haven't seen him for a couple of years, and they've had to shut the door on him. They're still angry and they're still hurt, but the grandmother, who is at the, their relationships at the centre of this film, she's still holding out hope. And I think a grandmother's love or a grandparent's love is a different kind of love. I'm sure grandparents know what I'm talking about. Mm. You know, if you're a parent, you, you adore your child, but a grandparent has another slightly removed and that they don't have the day-to-day responsibility, but a deeper, profound love that they have for their grandchild. So that's kind of at the core of it is a grandmother's love for her moko mm. and how that hopefully gives us some hope. You have put this together and it's been, I, I see what, debuted in Hawaii and New Zealand International Film Festivals last year, mm-hmm. Beverly Hills International Film Festival, Whitehall Film Festival there. T- tell me about um, the, the reception that it's had from audiences. Well, we were very, very pleased, thrilled actually, to hear that we won the Tiniro Award at the Wairoa Film Festival. So that's the Audience Award. And that is just so gratifying, Nathan, because it just means that it resonated with that group of people. And that's what you, well, that's what you hope for. You know, your film hopefully travels for you. And unfortunately, we haven't been able to be at any of these festivals, yeah, yeah. including in, in Auckland, of course, the New Zealand International Film Festival was cancelled here in Palmaki Makoto. But so my whole family kind of got to see it on the widescreen before I even did. And you just hope that there are some people there that take something from it. And obviously in Wairoa, they did. So mm. we're just thrilled about that. Jennifer Ward-Leland there. Disrupt will be screened at the Māori Land Film Festival at the end of this month.
It is coming up to eight and a half to six dozens of severe thunderstorm wind and snow watches remain in place across the country this morning as uh, a storm which lashed New Zealand over the weekend sticks around. In a moment we're going to hear from Philip Duncan from Weatherwatch to find out uh, what today has in store for the country. First though we are joined and thank you for being up so early for us Your Worship, the Mayor of Porirua, Anita Baker who's here uh, and of course Porirua experiencing some severe flooding yesterday. Kia ora, how are you? What's the latest? Uh, It's very heavy this morning. We had very torrential rain at 3am. It's just easing off now. Um, But we got a bit quieter last night. About 9 o'clock our call centre went down to about 10 calls an hour. So that was quite good um, because we've had the reducing rain. We've had three homes um, that got flooded, but many, many other gardens and sheds and garages you know, with lots of water in them. One one person has had to stay with family. Um, the others chose to stay in their homes. Yeah. Uh, we've got one school shut this morning, Palamasa School, and Pukok Hill Road is closed because there is a slip on the Kapiti side. Okay. Uh, but lots of other cars have been lost and things like that. Wow, because I know there was—I think there was some flooding in the last couple of years. I mean, as we're seeing around the around the nation, we're we're having—you know—this is happening a lot more. Is—is—is is, is it similar areas that are that are flooding in in the locality? Yeah, that's our problem. Carryhana um, Bay—the pumps were going. That's the place where we go, we're spending a lot of money. But of course, the work hasn't um, happened on the ground. It takes a long time to to get pipes and things through. Um, Akron Road is one of our, our main spots. Champion Street, Warspite, Gillette Street. I could give you a, probably 10 or 12 places yeah. that it happens regularly. That um, And these, these are well-known spots. You know, uh, it was. Uh, I have a lot of lot of family in Wellington. It was the place I was born, so you know, I get I get a lot of um, you know feeds from there during Facebook and stuff. Gee, it looked mm. like um, that people were thinking, oh yeah, there'll be just be lightning for a couple of hours, but it just hadn't stopped. I know there are a lot of a lot of people posting flight trackers where planes couldn't land properly at Wellington yesterday. So, uh, what's wind done? Uh, I know that rain is doing a lot there. Have you seen any wind damage? The, no, not yet. We've had a few trees down late, really sort of sort of five o'clock on, the, the wind, wind arrived. But in the morning, I was out doing a rubbish clean around the harbour. It was really nice. I went to um, Plymouthton to the, go to the midwinter swim, which they ended up cancelling and having indoors. And it was fine driving down Mana Isnad. 25 minutes later, I couldn't get down there. Wow. It's just torrential. I, I know there was a bit of worry about the tide coming in. What happened when, when high tide came in? Uh, the pumps went flat out. If it wasn't for the fire brigade, there would be a number of extra houses that had uh, water inside them. Oh, Those goodness. guys just did an amazing job from the fire brigade. Yeah, they do. They're incredible. Thank you very much, Anita Baker. Uh, best of luck for, for today. That is, of course, the Mayor of Porirua. Um, right, Nation, joining me now is Philip Duncan from Weatherwatch to tell us uh, what is happening. Kia ora, man. How are you? Good morning, very good. How are you? I'm good. Now, you told us last week, you said, look, this is stormy, it's coming in. I, from the way it looks, what I'm looking at, if, you know, this was about five days ago, you said probably around till about midweek. Tell us about the storm, where it's moving to, and what are you seeing at the moment? So the storm was centred down in the Southern Ocean when we talked at the end of last week. Now it's moved to near Fiordland. It got a new centre yesterday. This is a really good way of looking at it. You know, if you look at our own solar system, the sun is sort of parked in one spot, and the best place for life is where Earth is. With this storm, it's parked in one spot, and the best place for these thunderstorms, that life, that energy, 
it's stuck around central New Zealand. It's just coming in around and around and around, which is why the lower North Island of Wellington are getting hit by these downpours just over and over again. And those further to the north and the south aren't getting the same kind of weather. I love when you explain stuff. That was perfect. Thank you very much for that. Um, so a lot of lightning in that through the centre of New Zealand. I saw some reports perhaps Desert Road might be looking for snow. What's happening on the snow fronts for both both of the big islands? Yeah, so the thunderstorms are still very much clustered in the same areas around Taranaki and Wellington and Kapiti and a few down on the west coast. We're seeing a few isolated ones elsewhere. But today the cold front, that hit the South Island on Saturday is now kind of that cold air is moving around the North Island. So, yes, the desert road today uh, and tonight and tomorrow, a chance of some flurries. Not sure if it'll be enough to close the highway or not, but certainly the first time this year that we've been seeing that. And then hopefully by Tuesday, Wednesday, we'll see things calming back down again around the north. And back to Wellington, the good news is even though there's some there more thunderstorms and downpours today and the winds are going to pick back up to gale force, um, at the as we get towards the end of the day, conditions should be gradually easing in Wellington. It's still going to be unsettled tomorrow, but the worst is hopefully easing today. Um, tell, tell me about Auckland. If it's going to be, I hear there might be some winds around, and what are we looking at for the rest of the week? So Auckland's got some blustery winds coming in today. There could be gusts up around 80, 90 k's an hour in some areas. Usually that's just around the hovering around the limits of, of the city being okay. But there could be a few isolated power cuts and a few thunderstorms and downpours, the usual kind of weather. But today, Aucklanders will notice the temperatures down a little bit. And this is kind of a wetter day than what we've been seeing for the last couple of days. Okay. Um, tell us about the storm, what the country has uh, on offer, and are there any areas that you're looking at saying, okay, it's sitting here right now, you guys might just want to watch yourself in the next few days? Well, I, I would sort of still say Wellington and the lower North Island have got those big thunderstorms. They're the most unstable part of this whole system, really. Windy weather right across the, the North Island and central areas today. Then the storm moves away from New Zealand. In fact, tomorrow, southeast of the country by a long way. It quickly starts to move away. And by Wednesday, milder westerlies return from Australia. But we're not finished in the lower South Island. They've got some wintry weather still to come in at the end of the week. So it's a bit of a game changer, really, for our weather pattern. Just real quick, snow dump for the South Island ski fields? Yes. The ski, in fact, I got told off the other day from a skier who said, you're making the snow sound like it's a bad thing. And I went, oh, that's a very good point. <laughs> very good news for the ski industry at the moment. Get on the piste. Thank you uh, very much. Uh, Philip Duncan, who's here with us from Weather Watch. I like that kind of a heliocentric explanation of uh, the way that the storm system is working. And that will wrap our show for Monday, the uh, 13th of June. Apparently there's a whole lot of other films that came out on this day as well. I don't know, maybe it's probably just film release day in Hollywood and here I am going on this day and Hollywood's going, yeah, that's when we put it out. Need to find some Bollywood release dates. When did Three Idiots come out? Got to find out about that. You can tweet us constantly, first up at, uh, sorry, at first up RNZ. Morning Reporters next with Susie and Corin. Listen to us on the podcast anytime you like, or we're back in your ears, our poor poor.